please turn in your copy of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 2. I'll begin to read from verse 1 through to verse 12. I'm sure we've all seen these small models of the nativity scene, and there are certain things about those that are captivating. You always have the baby in a manger, you always have a star, you have the, the shepherds, and you have the wise men. And those models are good in that they bring to us certain aspects of the Christmas story, but they also are not very helpful because they turn us away from looking at the nativity scene as it is presented in the scriptures. So as we read these scriptures, be reminded that this presents us the true nativity scene where we ought to be coming to often. I'll read from verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who, is, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod and the king Heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herald, they departed to their own country by another way. There is a clear connection between chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter 2. Chapter 1 seeks to demonstrate that Christ is of the lineage of David. He's from the royal line. He's from the descent of David. Chapter 2 goes on to show that he receives 
royal honor, that he deserves worship. And so we are in chapter 2, and we'll look at this passage in terms of the responses that three particular types of people responded to Jesus and how they responded to Jesus. So look at this in terms of the curiosity to find out more. And this is the Magi or the wise men. The curiosity to find out more. Secondly, the cold and indifferent. These were the chief priests and the scribes. And finally, uh, the hostile, which is Herod. Now, as I said earlier, in your activity uh, scene that you have, these things cannot come out. You need to come to the scriptures and read these and see these from the scriptures. Verse 1 begins by describing the event. It was when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. We're also told there the date or the time this happened. It was in the days of Herod the king. He's also known as Herod the Great. So we clearly are told of a specific place and a specific time. This is not fairy tale. This is real place and in real time. We begin with the curiosity to find out more. So the wise men, we're told, came from the east. They could have been coming from Babylon. We're not exactly sure where they came from in terms of the specific place. We're not even told their names. Um, we're not even told um, who they were in terms of specific detail. But all we know is that they came from the east. They had traveled hundreds of miles to get to Bethlehem. This may have taken weeks for, of travel. They had endured the cold nights. They were open to robbers. They were vulnerable to robbers and to caravan thieves as they traveled, as they passed through foreign countries. They were carrying uh, gifts that were, um, made them even more vulnerable because they were, they were carrying great wealth on them. So they, were very, they put themselves in a very risky and vulnerable position. They had left family. They had left homes. They had left work to follow a star. They set their eyes on this star, and as they said, this star was leading them to the baby who was born uh, king of the Jews, and they never rested until they saw him. There was no reason to suppose that these, according to our usual nativity uh, scenes, that there were three, there could have been six. We're not too sure, the Bible does not say, but I guess we all have stuck to three. Or even that there were kings, as we sing in our car Christmas carols. We three kings, uh, as the carol goes, uh, the scriptures do not say. But we know that they were probably of the Persian tribes. Uh, we, they could have been um, those who were Zoroastrian worshippers, who worshipped um, light and, 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 and stars and so on. But really they were uh, called magi in this passage, as we see. Magi is, um, is a root word for magician, and so they, they were really uh, pagan worshippers, astrologers they could have been. They were on their way to Jerusalem, and what led them here was a star, as I said, that arose. According to some scholars, 
they say this could have been Jupiter and Mars, the conjunction, and Saturn, sorry, the conjunction of those two stars could have formed a bright light by which, you know, um, they were led. Some have said these are comets. This could have been probably Comet Haley, and they would have seen this and were being tracked by it. But most commentators say, well, this is a supernatural star that God put in the sky. If we look at verse 9, it says, Behold the star they had seen when it, when it arose, went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was born. So this star was a very unusual appearance in the skies, and these men followed the star, knowing that a child was to be born. We don't know where they got the extra information from. They could have been in uh, Babylon at the times of Daniel and others and would have heard about the truth of this star. Numbers, uh, the book of Numbers talks about the star uh, and one being born. In fact, that was a, pro a, a, a prophecy by the prophet Balaam who talks about a star rising uh, and this star pointing to, to, to one who will rule over Israel. But with this information, they set out to see this newborn king. They entered Jerusalem, and knowing this is the birth of a king, they were on the streets and they were asking people about where this child was to be born and thinking this town must be ablaze with this news. This is, this is hot news. But everybody just stared at them with blank faces, wondering what they were talking about. The wise men naturally came to Jerusalem. This was the capital of the Jewish people and so thought this is where the king ought to be born. But we, we told that this obviously um, gave them no information. Finally, they ended up in Herod's court and had this encounter with Herod. We see this in verse 3. Um, sorry, verse, yes, verse 3. Verse 2, they were asking, where is the where is he who, is, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Israel with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So these men came before Herod and um, wanted to know where this child was born. Now, that is very unsettling news. Imagine you are the CEO of some company, and all you see on the headlines in the company publications is that there is a new CEO. As far as you're concerned, you're still in the seat. As far as you're concerned, you are still in power. This was Harold's position, and so it was very unsettling for him as king. Herod had been king at this point for about 37, 38 years over Israel, and he had been put there by Rome, uh, by the Senate of Rome to rule. He was called by title King of the Jews, and therefore he knew that title to be his. And so as the chief priests and the others were summoned to come before him and inquired before them where this king would be born, the Messiah, um, as, he, as, he, as, he, as he calls him, if you look at verse, verse 4, 
And assembling the chief priests and the scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So we can see here that King Herod knew better than these wise men. He says, where is the Christ to be born, the Messiah, the anointed one to be born? The chief priests and the teachers of the law, very schooled in the law, flipped their Bibles and immediately were in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And reading that passage, they responded, it is in Bethlehem. Um, and, 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 and so um, the, the, the matter was so quickly settled before them. We are told that Herod um, then called these men secretly uh, in verse 7. He summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for this child. Interesting that these wise men were on a search, were pursuing this information about this little child, and they knew very little about it. They only knew that a child was to be born, and this child would be born king. And with that information, believing that, they saddled their camels and were on their way. Very different from the chief priests and the scribes. So on one hand, we had those who are curious for information. Secondly here, we have those who are cold and indifferent. The chief priests summoned before Herod, answered Herod questions like a pop quiz, you know, um, just as quickly as that. It is in, in, it's in, it's in Bethlehem, the land of Judea, um, and they quoted Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. At that, the chief priests and the scribes had done their work, and off they went, I guess, to their homes. Work done. None of them thought, it's only five miles away to Bethlehem. Let's go and see what has happened. None of them said, let's go and check this out. None of these evangelical leaders, these men of the word, would go to find out that a king had been born. This sounds weird. This response to the information that Herod had asked for, and yet um, there is no curiosity, there is no urge to go and find out what uh, had happened in Bethlehem, is really something wrong about these men. It sounds strange in our reading. Imagine that evening in their homes. Imagine being a fly on the wall in their homes that evening and hearing this conversation with their wives, asking them, so how, how was your day, dear? And they would say, they would say oh, we're summoned to, to Herod. We're summoned to, to, to Herod's courts. Uh, he, he was asking about this news that's been buzzing around town about the, the birth of, of, of a king of the Jews. And so the wives would say, so um, how did it go? Oh, we, we, we told him. We, 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 we opened the scriptures. We opened Micah and told him that the child would be born in Bethlehem, um, in Judea. And so, um, yeah, after that, we, we, we left his courts. We told him the news. And probably the wives said, oh, that's good. Uh, do you want some more bread or some more falafel or some more hummus? And 
That's bizarre. Israel had been waiting for centuries, for hundreds of years, for the birth of Christ. And it passes without any notice amongst the chief priests and amongst the teachers of the law. Sinclair Ferguson says, knowing the Bible well and yet being tone deaf to its message. This is exactly what was happening here. John chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have a life. Knowing the scriptures is not the same thing as knowing the person. I guess this is our potential danger today, this morning. For most of us in this room, we hear the scriptures often. And the next thing is, oh, what's for lunch? Where are we going to have lunch this afternoon? We are like the duck. You know, the duck is very familiar with waters. It's always in the waters. And it just comes out, and water just kind of slides off its back, and off it goes. It does not get itself wet. This is how these men were, knowing the facts about Jesus, yet not knowing Jesus. This could be you. Teenagers, young people, you know more about the Lord Jesus Christ than these wise men knew. These wise men knew that a king was to be born, and that is it. You have more Bible knowledge, more theology in your minds than these men, and yet these facts are cold to you. You do not, you're not moved by the Lord Jesus Christ. I came to know the Lord when I was about 11, 12 years old, and I had known about Christ. I had known that he was a savior. I had known the gospel very well. And one of my friends who came from a Catholic background came to me and opened John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again. And I looked at him and I thought, I know a lot more Bible than he does. I know that they rarely open the Bible. And I knew that Christ came, I knew that Christ died <coughs> for sin. I knew that I was a sinner, but I did nothing with all this information. Until that day when I was confronted with someone whose life had radically changed he didn't only know about Jesus, but he had t repented and trusted in Christ. And his life was radically different. And it was seeing him that caused me to turn from my sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ will not get you to heaven. Simply knowing the facts of Jesus will not cause you to be one who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is one who has turned from their sins and committed themselves to the Lordship of Christ. <clears throat> and so we see here the chief priests and the wise men, they quote Micah chapter 2, verse Mark chapter 5 and verse 2 in verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We see here that Christ comes from the kingly line of David. He was born in that birthplace of David. He is one who will be a ruler, as the verse says, 
and his function will be to shepherd the people of Israel and who shall shepherd my people Israel. As Tanaka read this passage for us earlier uh, today, we see that this passage is really nestled in a passage that speaks about the judgment that's to come upon the children of Israel because of their idolatry. And this is a passage that brings comfort to them, saying, a ruler will come, one who will rescue you, one who will draw you from exile, one who will save his people. And this is what these chief priests and the, and, and the scribes were saying, that one such a person has come and is born in, in Bethlehem. And so this is what um, was being announced at this point, and yet it did not move their hearts. Oh, do not be like these chief priests. Do not be like these scribes who listen to the gospel week in and week out. We have come to the end of another year, and yet you think, oh, I'll just listen next week and the week following. Pastor John always says, we have a limited number of Christmases here, probably in speaking about the UAE, but we have a limited number of Christmases on the face of the earth. And so will you not turn and trust in Christ? Or will you pass this Christmas by and say, I'll hear this again next Christmas? Moving on, we see here that Matthew writes with a Jewish mindset. He writes in order to pique their attention about particular things. He doesn't include the shepherds that Luke includes in his account. He doesn't include... Um, the other things that we see uh, recorded about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he includes specific facts that remind us of the promises of God that were recorded in the Old Testament. And so, after a few detail, we see this repeated phrase. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophets. We see this in verse 5. We see this in verse 15. We see this in verse 17. But this line actually continues right through the book of, of Matthew. He's here quoting the Old Testament, reminding us of the link between the prophecies in the Old Testament and this child who is to be born. That there's a clear connection here that this is the promised one. This is the one of whom the scriptures uh, were foretold by the prophets in times of old. And so, having seen the the curiosity uh, to find out more, having seen the cold and indifference of the, the chief priests and the scribes, let's turn now and look at the hostility of Herod the king. As we said, Herod was appointed by Rome. He was actually called Herod the Great. Uh, he was one who jealously held on to power. He was very repressive to those under him for the, for, for the 37 or 38 years that he had ruled at this point. He was an Edomite by descent. I'll ask you to check out the Old Testament to find out who the Edomites were. He was called the king of Israel by title. He, he, he desired to endear the, the, the Israelites to himself. And so he built them a lavish temple. In fact, he built quite a lot. He was one who was known for his architecture. 
uh, in his days. And he was one who also was very suspicious of those who were seeking to overthrow him in terms of his power. And so it is recorded that he killed his wife, Miriam, and he also killed his sons, Alexander and Aristobus, uh, were executed thinking they were after his power. Caesar Augustus says this of um, Herod. He says, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. So Herod was one who was suspicious by nature. And we see here in verse 4 that he was troubled when he heard of a king to be born. But we're also told that all of Jerusalem were troubled. They were troubled for different reasons, not so much because they thought this would be a bad thing if they lost Herod as king, but it was the cruelty that they had known in times past of many families that had died or, or had to flee because Herod thought they were, Herod thought, uh, they were after him. And so they were troubled. All Jerusalem were troubled, thinking this is not good news to think another king has been born. And so at the birth of Jesus, we are told here that he was troubled and that he was uh, certainly uh, wanting to know more about this child. He says to the, to the magi, to the wise men, go and search for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship, the, worship him. Notice that he did this secretly. He summoned them aside because all of Israel knew who he was. All of Israel knew that this was a joke. There is no way that, you know, um, Herod would go and worship a baby who is born king. And so he summoned these men aside who knew nothing of him and who probably at this point were believing of him as he sent them off uh, to go and find out. He could have sent them with part of his guard, his soldiers, to go and find out, but he thought that would make it even more suspicious. He was a very cunning leader, and so he sends them on their way, um, asking them to come back to him with news about this birth. This was Herod. He was one who was up to no good. In fact, by verse 16 of the passage that we read, we are told that he killed all the children who were two years and under um, at knowing that these magi were not going to come back and return in the same route. He was a deceitful king. He was one who was satanic in his, in his ways. He was, his reputation was known to all around, that he was one who was evil to the core. Herald was very hypocritical in his words so that I too may go and worship him. Often would think, you know, those who are haters of Christ would outrightly say it, but that's not so here. Those who hate Jesus would not necessarily say, I hate Jesus. Uh, they might say good things like Herod here. They might be very patronizing about who Jesus is. Oh, I know about Jesus, you know, He's a good person. You know, he does so much good and so on. Very patronizing about Jesus. That is what Herod was here. But lurking behind that was a hate for Jesus. And so we see 
the hostility that, um, that Harold the Great had against this baby. Let's turn back to the curious for more, the Magi, the wise men. We're told that after they left his courts, they were overjoyed. In fact, the statement is they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, almost like a triple joy that they had. It was something that they did with great delight. This was probably the greatest duty they had ever done in their lives. With joy, they skipped and trotted on as they went on to Jerusalem. And there, we are told, they worshipped him. They fell down, a, a sign of homage, a sign of um, bowing down before a king. We don't know how much they knew about who they were bowing down to, but one of the commentators says they worshipped more than they knew. And so we know that they joyfully did this, um, being compelled by what they were seeing in this, the king of the Jews. They worshipped him and, and they rejoiced exceedingly. They opened up their bags and brought out gifts. We are told there that they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are gifts that are given to royalties. Um, gold, that is non-rusting, um, used for ornaments, frankincense, which is pure incense, and myrrh, which is expensive perfume, are used on bridal processions or during the preparing of bodies for burial. They brought these and brought them lavishly before a king. Notice in that verse, that they went and found Mary and the child, and yet they don't worship Mary. They fall down before this child, and they worship him alone. They brought these expensive gifts, and in verse 12 we are told, and being warned in a dream not to return, they departed to their own country by another way. God had thwarted the plans of Herod. He had spoiled the plans of Herod, and so they went back via another route. We also know that these gifts that were brought to Jesus were probably what was used in their expenses after this as they escaped to go off to Egypt again in running away from, from Herod. What are we to learn from this passage in closing? We'll go through five things quickly as we learn from this passage. Firstly, Jesus is worshipped not just by the Jews. Here he is worshipped by the nations around. We see the wise men, representative of the nations from the Far East, come to worship him. We see, firstly, in Luke, there were the shepherds, and here we have foreigners who come to worship him. Matthew is trying to state a point here, that these magicians, these astrologers, these wise men who are not of Israel, who are Babylonians or maybe Persians out there, these who are Gentiles, these who are unclean, these who are pagans, that God has opened the door for pagans, for Gentiles to come into his kingdom. And obviously, this for us this morning is a representative of that. None of us here are Jews. None of us are from the lineage of Jesus in terms of our physical bloodline. But we come to worship him. 
we have all bowed and turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is really what God was doing, calling a people to himself. And here very early in the, at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being portrayed this picture. Now you cannot see this in that nativity scene that you know is modeled for us. You have to come to the scriptures to read this and see that God is calling to himself sinners to come and worship him from all nations, from all tribes, uh, to come to bow and call Jesus Christ Lord. Secondly, we see that God fulfills his promises, that he is a trustworthy God. The promises that were given 700 years before Christ in Micah chapter 5 are here fulfilled concerning the birthplace, the exact place where he would be born, um, concerning who he would be and what his function would be, were all stated um, 700 years before Christ was born. This tells you, this shows you the veracity of the scriptures. You can trust the scriptures that this is truly God's words. This is reliable. This gives you reason to pick up the Bible tomorrow, the first day of the year, and say, I will read through the Bible. And if you have trouble in doing that, pick up a Bible reading aid like the uh, McShane reading plan. Um, in the church bulletin that was sent to you over email, um, we have there put links of how you can actually be reading through the whole year um, through the Old and the New Testament regularly and through consecutive books in the Bible. Read the Bible. Be familiar with the promises of God uh, because this word is true. These promises are there to strengthen your faith, to grow you in your Christian life. If you think these things are true, why would you not read them? Thirdly, we have two kinds of people in this passage. We have the cold and the indifferent. We also have the hostile. I'll start with the cold and indifferent. There may be those who are like these men with knowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ, who love the Bible, who read the Bible, and yet are not passionate about it. And maybe all you um, um, allude to is that this must be something that has to do with my, my, my personality. You know, I'm not a very passionate person. I'm not a very zealous person. I'm a very laid-back person, but not so with the Scriptures. Those who read the Bible like the chief priests and the scribes and just go home and have their dinner do not know this Christ. The, our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ displays, is like a gauge that shows us what we treasure, that shows us that which fuels our lives. It shows us what our priorities in life are. And so if you're such a one who reads the scripture and there is no love in, in your heart for Christ, there is no, no zeal for God's word, the Bible calls you to repent, to turn from your sin and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It calls you to turn from your sin and ask God to give you that love for Christ who died that we might have life. And so knowledge is not sufficient. We just don't come in order to gain knowledge about our Lord Jesus Christ. This should fuel a love for him, 
a delighting in Him, a joy in Him. That should be the normal conversation amongst Christians. What we read in the Scriptures, what we have heard from sermons, how the Lord has been growing us in this last year. We also have the hostile. We have here Herod, who was hostile to the core. He says, Go and make a search that I too may worship him. Well, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ is a life of suffering. We know that there are those out there who are out in order to um, harm the faith, in order to, to bring down Christians. Christians are like a lightning rod to them. They, 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 they seek to be like a pompous herald who seeks to destroy any purposes of God. Spiritual conflict is real for children of, children of God, for Christians. And so as a believer, know that that is the world in which we live. Amongst your workmates, um, with your friends, that they are not friends. That they are not those who will love you because they do not love our Lord Jesus Christ. And so like Herod, they might say the nice things, but they may be hostile to this Christian faith. Our Bible calls us to be those who are armed with the Christian armor. Ephesians 6 reminds us, put on the full armor of God that you might stand against the evil one. We live in an age in which uh, there is hostility to the Christian faith to say that Christ is the only way, that's the only way by which men can go to heaven, is one that will receive hostility. Or that the Bible is the only truth is something that the world is hostile to out there. And so be armed as children of God for the fact that there will be suffering out there. We are called to suffer like our master. Or to put it again in the words of Sinclair Ferguson, he says, he became what he was not, and we become what we are not. And what is it that we become? We become like him. We become like Christ, he who was willing to suffer, he who was willing to be put on the cross for our sakes. Thirdly, in application, we see God's providence in this passage. God controls all things in order that his son might be worshipped, in order that Christ might be known. And so he led these men by a star from the east. And we see how, um, notice in verse 12, that they were warned in a dream not to go back the same way. We're told in Acts 17, verse 26, that God has designed our boundaries, where we will be, how we will live, and our dwelling places, that we might know him. It's only for that purpose. Has this year been a difficult year for you as a believer? It is so that you might know him. Does he pass us through things that we cannot understand? It is so that we might know him. And so, as we go through different situations in life, we know that this is God's providential care for us. This passage is not at all about dreams or stars. Just sleep and then wake up and God will tell you what, 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 what will happen in your life. No, no, no. 
That is to miss the point of this passage. God has revealed himself fully through Christ and that God has given us the scriptures, which is God's full revelation to us. Go to the scriptures and read them regularly. The point here is that God divinely cares for his own. And here he directed uh, the Magi in order that they might see and know Christ. On their way back, the, the route was different. And they had come down one route, they had seen the star, they had gotten to Bethlehem, they had inquired from Herod, he had pointed them to the scriptures, they saw the star again and were off to Bethlehem. And I assume they anticipated the route back would be the same. But God says at this point, warns them not to go back in that same way. And sometimes we anticipate things. I've been down this route, I know what God is doing, and therefore I know what will be next. But God leads and guides his people in his own providential care. And this year might be that year for you. I have been talking to a few of you who have been going through very challenging times and thinking, what will be next? What will be next about my job situation or where I will be? Well, entrust yourself to he who cares for you, he who leads and guides, he who protects his own. It is he who leads his people. And lastly, and I think key of all the lessons from this passage is that Jesus is king. I don't think those nativity scenes that you have really bring out this in the way that this passage does. That Jesus is the king. He who is worshipped by these wise men from the east. Notice that they came saying only one thing. Where is this? Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? That phrase is only used in the book of Matthew and is only used twice in the book of Matthew. Here by the Magi and the second time it is used, it is the inscription on the cross in Matthew 27 verse 30, 37. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. This was truly the King of the Jews. Herod ex executed many to stay in power. Jesus gave up his life for many. Herod was a builder of great buildings in Jerusalem, but Jesus built the church. On this rock, I will build my church. And today, as we have here represented in this hall, is Christ's building. He continues to build his church. Herod is the great oppressor of God's people. Jesus is the liberator of his people. Herod was conquered by death. His tomb and his remains were found uh, most recently in, in Jerusalem. Actually, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Jesus conquered death. And so we long for a king, and we long for justice, we long for peace. And that's why we, 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 uh, movies like um, Lord of the Rings, like Star Wars, like um, Game of Thrones, and so on, are, are, are movies that have great attraction. Why? They anticipate justice, they anticipate a king, they anticipate you know, one who will rule. 
Well, standing behind all of those is this promised Jesus the King, is the true King, He who is King over all, He who rules and reigns, He who is King of kings and King and Lord of lords. We see right through the book of Matthew, He did great things. He showed great power. He taught ways in ways that uh, make, make him, made him stand out amongst all the other teachers. His authority was like no other. In fact, he himself says at the, book, at the end of the book of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. He is king of kings and lord of lords. In the book of Matthew, dotted there are many consolations for God's children. He says, take my yoke, for it is easy. He also says, do not worry, for he cares for the sparrows. He cares for the lilies. This is the one who is king. He is the one who calls you that you might know rest, that you might know true peace. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation chapter 5 ends in this way. Listen to this. And I heard from every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped him. Followers of Christ are called to worship this Christ, to bow down to him. Is Christ at the center of your life? Do you bow down to him? Do you love him? Are you obedient to his words? You can kneel to Christ now for those of you who are here for the first time or do not know Christ, or you will kneel to him at the end of your life. Christ is king. He, it is he who rules and reigns eternally. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you like these wise men, men who yielded their lives to seek to know Christ. We come to you, O Lord, like those sinners, those pagans, seeking that they might know you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures that you are king. We pray that our lives would be completely yielded to you. We pray that our future, as we look forward to this coming year, might be a year in which Christ is king, that we would bow to, us, to your sovereign will, that we would bow to your leading of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for he who has risen from the dead. We thank you for he who is ascended to heaven, where he leads and guides us as his people. We thank you that he is king over all. We look forward, O oh Lord, to his second coming. 
Lord, we pray that as we do so, we might be a people that are in constant anticipation of his coming, a people that cry out like the early saints, Maranatha, longing for the return of the King. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you, who are amongst us this morning. Oh, we pray that they would not spurn this message. Oh, we pray that they would not turn away and seek other authorities in their life. Oh, Lord, we pray that today they might turn and trust in Christ. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.